I'm Lindsay Barra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part one of our conversation with Canadian-American bobsledder Kaylee Humphreys, the winningest female athlete in the history of the sport. She's a five-time world champion and has won four Olympic medals, three of them gold. In February in Beijing, she won the inaugural women's monobob event in which one female athlete both pushes and drives her 365-pound sled down the icy track. At 5'7 and around 160 pounds, Humphreys is built for power. She trains like a sprinter, both on the track and in the gym, focusing on movements like running, jumping, and bounding, and on Olympic lifts that work on both strength and speed. At age 36, she pays more attention than ever to proper movement patterns and recovery. And though she's committed to a high-protein diet that includes lots of veggies, good carbohydrates, and little sugar, she admits she has a sweet tooth and loves to bake. Her specialties? Cinnamon buns and the Canadian vanilla custard treat, flapper pie. So how are you? Where are you? Uh, I'm in Carlsbad, California, at home. Do you, you live in Carlsbad now? Okay, correct. Um, I saw all your photos from the Oscars Vanity Fair party. How was that? It's so much fun. It's so much fun. And just getting to dress up. Like we're in like athlete clothes most of the time. So just being able to like get a super fancy dress on and go out for a date with my husband, let alone see like you're on the blue carpet and you're like, shoot, that was Kim Kardashian. And like, that's Ricky Martin. And just the amount of like name dropping, not that you can name drop, like you don't know them, but you're like, oh shoot. Like there's, you know, Sophie Turner and there's Jason Momoa and there's Kate Hudson and there's Kim Kardashian. And just, it's all the famous people. And just like, they're all just hanging out and you're like, I am so intimidated right now. And like, you want to talk, but you don't want to be rude and you don't know what you're supposed to say. And like, you just, you walk around for the first at least little bit like, oh my God. And just like Bill Murray just walks right past you and you're like, oh shit. Like it just <laughs> comes out. So it was super cool. It was really fun to just live in that world for a minute. And I mean, hopefully I'll get to do it again at yeah. some point, but just to have that experience and be able to share that with my husband too was was super cool. So. There were a lot of other athletes there. Do you think the, the um, actors and actresses are equally in awe of the Olympians? I hope so. I don't know. Um, I mean, talking to Sophie Turner, she I got to show her my gold medal and she was like, this is the coolest thing that's happened to me all night. And so I think more for the change up than anything, they're probably used to seeing all those people and those are their friends. So we look at them as movie stars, but to them, that's their world. So getting a sneak peek into another world, such as having or being able to hold an Olympic gold medal, they're probably not used to that, where to me, you know, I look at Lindsay Jacob Ellis or Aaron Jackson and I'm like, oh, hey, like I just saw you at the Olympics and that's more of our world. So yeah. I think the exchange, I hope they think it's cool. I don't know. You know, I ask think them, they think but... it's cool. Everybody wants to win an Olympic gold medal. So I'm sure that they think it's cool. <laughs> um, so you grew up in Calgary and you were a ski racer as a kid, correct? Correct. Um, so, and I, I also know, I, I, you know, obviously Google stalked you a little bit that um, your family was friendly with Mark Tewksbury, who went to the Olympics as, as a swimmer, and you had like kind of designs on, on winning a gold medal from the time you were a kid. But since you were a ski racer as a kid, did you think that your gold medal would come from skiing? Did you believe that early on? Um, I believed I had 
the opportunity to go to the Olympics. And I always believed I could win a gold medal, but I guess I, I don't know. It also, as a kid, always seemed like a very big dream. You know, like, that would be so cool if I could go and this is what I'm going to work for. And you believe that you can do it, but you also know the chance of it happening is it's going to be a very hard road. So as much as I believed in myself, I think there was some of me that knew it was a far off dream. And I think that dream became a lot more real after switching to bobsled then I actually saw a path in a road and it became less of a dream and more of a goal. But gotcha. in skiing, it was very much a dream that I really, really wanted to come true. But I don't know if I fully believed that I had what it takes to get there. I mean, I did. That's why I kept doing it for a period of time. And then eventually I realized at about 16 years old, it, it's not going to happen. You were a fairly high level skier though, were you not? Yeah. Um, yes. I competed in an, one NORAM, which is like an international development circuit, uh, came second last, <laughs> and then right. realized also very quickly, like, okay, if I'm at NORAMs, I'm not on the World Cup, and I'm not near the top of the field, I, I can't see myself, I was doing everything the best that I could do, and I knew I wasn't at the level I needed to be in and amongst my teammates and the other people and where they were at. So I was a bit behind the eight ball and part of why I got to the realization of a, I was never going to go to a games or be at that same level, like a Lindsay Vaughn. Um, I didn't have the ability as I was racing to turn my brain off and I got mm -hmm. scared. And after multiple crashes and just being in that environment, the willingness to just let go and be free time and time and time again, no matter what's happened, that takes a very special type of person. And that is not me. And that is what makes a Michaela Schifrin and Lindsay Vaughn. That's what makes those people so great at what they do is their ability. It's not a carelessness. It's the ability to just be free and be very much in the moment and give everything they have to what they're doing. And I couldn't, my head got in the way. I would slow myself down. I'd get panicked or scared and it just had to feel safe. And in bobsled, you don't have a choice, but in skiing, you do, you can control yourself and the ability to just let go and live in the moment. I, I didn't have that after multiple crashes and I was more scared of getting hurt than I was of being fast. And when I realized that in myself and that was something I could control, I knew I needed to, to switch directions. So you don't have that fear in the bobsled or is it just different because there's sort of something around you? It's different because you don't have a choice. Once you start going down the hill, you don't pull the brakes until you cross the finish line. So you don't have a choice. You can't slow yourself down. Okay. You have to make it work. Um, in skiing, you can kind of check. You can slow yourself down a little bit, make it feel nice. In bobsled, you don't. You're going, you're going down the hill. The sled is what it is. You need to make it happen. Um, I don't have as much fear. I feel more in control in bobsled. I think the track itself and the sled, like you said, that kind of envelops you a little bit and <laughs> just being able to drive like a car I feel more in control less exposed 
And so it does, I don't um, freak out as much in the sport. I've had to learn how to let go. The sport has taught me how to live in the moment, how to not be scared of what's happened, even if I screw up a corner or what's coming, but very much corner by corner, the sport has taught me how to be the best in each and every corner. And that's how I've been able to be successful. And I think what some athletes have learned to be the best in skiing, I needed bobsled in order to be able to, to teach me that. And so I now have it. I have that ability. It's just in a different event. How did you make the transition from skiing to bobsled? I don't know that it seems like a direct road. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, where I grew up in Calgary, Canada, they have the bobsled track there from the 88 Olympics, the Cool Runnings Olympics. Yep. And where I trained for skiing was in a gym that had all different types of sports from the national teams in it. And so I got to see other Obviously, we were the skiing group, but I got to see bobsledders and luge athletes and tons of other snowboarders, tons of other sports in that same little training environment. So I watched them train. I got to meet some of them. And when I recognized that skiing was not going to be my path forward, then I had a choice. Do I start focusing on school, go to university, or do I pick <laughs> another sport and see what's going to happen? And academics, school was never, I, I was not passionate about it. I admire people that do, but it was never my, you know, passion to go out and get a degree and be the best and become a doctor. And it just, just, it never really ignited my fire as much. And so I knew I wanted to pick a different sport and having seen bobsledders train, I went, I think maybe I could be good at that. I'm fairly strong. I have really big legs. Um, let's try it. It was that or speed skating. Those were the two sports that I was like, these look super fun. I think I could be good at them. And you have to have both that you you think can be fun and you have to just try it. And bobsled was the first thing that I tried. And Did you grow up skating in Canada? I know how to skate. Okay. I, I wouldn't say I'm proficient at it or I'm the best skater, but definitely whether it's figure skates or hockey skates, yes, I have grown okay. up skating. Just like being able to go to a backyard rink or in Canada, it's winter most of the time. So most people have been on skates at some point in their life. Um, and so yes, I knew how to skate. But again, was I going to be good for a speed skater? I, I don't know. But again, it's you don't know until you try. So yeah. I needed to pick one and bobsled was the first event that had like a talent ID camp. So I thought I'll try it. Let's see if I like it. Let's see if I could be good at it. Maybe I'm going to be horrible and we'll try skiing and we'll just keep knocking down a couple different sports till I find something that I like that's fun and that the skill set that I have could be beneficial. And um, I enjoyed bobsled right from the first moment I tried it and I could see a future in it. So I continued to work at it. How does that work when you're an athlete in one sport at an Olympic training center? Do you just like roll up onto bobsled practice and be like, Hey, can I have a go? Like, how do you go about? No. <laughs> How does that no. work? <laughs> uh, well, I guess some of it, because even, I mean, when we're in Lake Placid at our training center, I mean, our sport specifically is constantly recruiting. We're definitely a secondhand sport. Everybody comes. Okay. You don't do bobsled as a kid. You can't. So everybody comes secondhand from another sport. Um, junior is to the age of 26. You have to be 18 to compete internationally in our sport. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that anybody under the age of 
16. I think there's only ever been one or two that have ever started it. Most 18 is very young to start, even up to 22. And like I said, junior is to 26. So um, we're definitely a secondhand sport. So we're constantly recruiting, looking at other athletes, even when they are for other sports. And I'm like, hey, whenever you retire, like track cycling or like it really, you just look at other athletes. Um, so we do a lot of recruiting, talking to people slash, even if they are interested, it's definitely, let's get you in and, and just try. So even just asking questions, like if they come over and, Hey, what's this like? What does this feel like? Come give it a try. Let's see. And in Lake Placid, we have an indoor ice house facility. So that got open this year for the first time in June. And we now can get people to practice starts and just pushing and get to see if, if not only do they have what it takes, but is it something worth investing in? Like realistically, is this something you could be good at with time? Um, because not everybody can push really heavy objects very fast. It's definitely an, a unique niche where you can be super fast. We've had Donovan Bailey come out. We've had other sprinters come out and they're just, they can't move weight quickly. And we've had really strong, strong people come out, women, men, and they just, they can move the weight, but it's not very quick. So how do you move weight quickly is what we look for. And that's a very unique skill set that honestly, from other sports or just your athletic background, how coachable you are, it's things, some can be taught and some just is kind of in who you are. And that's the same with driving a bobsled. So we're constantly looking for that. And if anybody at all ever shows interest, I would say come out slash ask questions and we'll bring you out. We'll figure okay. out how to get here because the sport itself is. is did you think as a skiing athlete, like I know you had had a couple crashes, like you broke both your legs, did you not? Skiing? Yes. So you had had these crashes and, but you're saying like, I have big legs, I'm a powerful athlete, I might be good at bobsled, but you obviously believed despite those injuries that you could move weight quickly. Yes. Yeah, um, I have a question that. Had you trained uh, in that way when you were skiing? No, skiing, Although they do do weights, skiing is more endurance, but there is still a strength component. Um, having to accelerate the way that they push into the ski to get the ski to react, there definitely is an on-off strength component, but they do do a lot more cardio than we do. Um, traditional style cardio of being able to ride a bike or run longer distances. Um, I hadn't trained as a sprinter but i was fortunate that when i came into bobsled i had access to or i knew who the best bobsled coach in the world was and i went and sought him out and started training with a world-class sprint coach very early on so i have the ability to be quick i'm not the fastest athlete on tour i've had to work hard at the speed component because i don't come from a sprinting background but I am stronger than majority of girls on tour. So I don't have to work at that as hard. And so we take the strength that I've got and we pair it with making me the fastest I can be and focus on the explosivity and the combination of both. What do those workouts look like on a day-to-day -day basis? So we train six days a week, uh, usually Monday, Tuesday, would be, we do whole body 
training. So pushing a bobsled isn't just legs. There is an upper body component. I can build power with my lower body, but if I can't transfer it through my core, through my upper body and into the sled, it goes nowhere. Um, so Mondays, Tuesdays are usually more weight and sprint focus. We'll do a combination of both. So a Monday we'll do like 80 meter sprints, 60 meter sprints, something a little bit longer with a focus then on lower body, super heavy legs. Tuesday we'll then switch to more 10, 20, 30 meter stuff, super quick and really explosive. And then I'll do a bunch of like Olympic lifting. So power cleans, snatch things that again, are explosive with weight. Wednesday would be a bit of a recovery day. So we'll do um, slow strides, like 100 meter stuff, but at tempo where we're not trying to be fast, but we're just getting up and open from a running standpoint, and then do some mobility strength work. So where you're not using a bunch of weight, but you're having to be powerful. So crawls on the floor, being able to um, sled pulls, sled pushes, we would do that on the Wednesday. Um, Thursday back to being explosive and heavyweight. Friday a little bit longer, a little bit lighter weight. Again, medicine ball throws. Um, and then again, Saturday would be a bit of a recovery based day, but still keeping within a running component and a lifting or strength component. So we do do a combination of both of those every single day. Sundays are then our off days. About how many hours a day is that? I usually spend about two and a half to three hours at the running track and then about two hours in the gym. Wow. So I, I did troll your Instagram and you do seem to really love the barbell. Why, why is that so good for bobsled training? Um, because it pairs, it works on explosivity. So um, also because I'm stronger. So I like doing things that make me feel strong. <laughs> yeah. The running, what? although I do post that, it's not, I'm not the best or the, the most pretty technical runner. So although I do post it and work on it, from my standpoint, we train like Olympic weightlifters, but also like Olympic sprinters and with some Olympic sprinters. So you pair me next to Lolo Jones, she knows what she's doing on the track. But at the same point, I'm like, okay, next to squats, I'm going to beat you. But it, on the on the sprinting track, you're going to crush me. So we definitely help each other in that standpoint. But for me, um, working on power cleans or snatch or anything with a bar, an Olympic-style lift, pairs strength. And you do need speed in order to do it. You need to be able to lift and move weight in an explosive way. Um, it's not slow. Squats are a, a lot more of a slow type of movement where you have to, in order to get that weight moving, you have to be strong and fast in a lifting component. So I like those type of movements. Um, they make me feel strong and fast and I am technically decent at them. So yeah. I think that's also why I like them where some people wouldn't, but I can't just do those and be good. So I definitely have, have to work on my speed on the track itself, running, sprinting, bounding, jumping, things like that. I'm not the best jumper or the most springy. Um, and then at the same point, I am very strong, but it's not good enough to just be strong. I need to take the strength that I have in squats, but be able to move that very quickly. So do you chase numbers with those kind of movements with the back squat, the deadlift, the power clean, or are you just looking at things like weight where you can safely move very explosively 
both. It depends on when in the season. So we'll start training about middle of April and we'll train all summer, which can be done anywhere, which is why I live in California. Because as long as I have access to a sprint track and a gym, I can train anywhere in the summer. And then, so from mid-April until October, it's just physical. I can't physically go into a bobsled anywhere in the world and drive down a track. So we focus very much on physically being the best that we can be moving a bobsled for that first 50 meters. And then once we start competing and training on ice, which usually happens early to mid-October, and then we start racing in November, then I start focusing more on the skill of driving the sled and just maintaining the weight that I've achieved. So certain weeks will build up to where we are focusing on being super fast or we're focusing on building up to be super duper strong. Then we're chasing a number. If I Mm -hmm. want to get to a one rep max come December, I'm chasing a number. We're trying to get that number as high as possible. Um, But at some points and to be smart with training and the older I get, I have to realize that I can't always chase a number, that I'm always trying to be on form and be the best and periodization you need to sometimes stay within an 80 percent or a 70 percent range and some days i can't be 100 percent every single day so chasing a number all the time doesn't work sometimes you have to take a step back and operate in that 60 to 70 percent zone to work on technique um to have a bit of a down week where you still want to be strong but you don't need to tax the system as much i need to just be able to move so it depends on when in the month or the week that we're and what we're specifically working on and then what time in the year. I, I want to give some folks some perspective here because I I lift a lot with the barbell and your the numbers that I saw on the internet are amazing to me. You're back squatting around 340 pounds. Is that about right? Which is more than twice what you weigh. You're power cleaning 230. That was very impressive when I saw that. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing how strong you are. Um, what are your favorite exercises to do? Hang cleans. Okay. And Bulgarian split squats. Oh my God. You like the split squats. That's so funny. I, cause I always going to ask you, I always ask the athletes, um, what are the exercises they love to hate the ones they can't stand doing, but they do them because they know they're good for them. And almost everyone always says the split squat is the one that they hate. But they I do love it. Split That's so funny. So I'm really one? good at those too. Like I can do a lot of weight for a split squat. Um, and maybe that's why I like them is because I can do a lot of weight compared to most people for a split squat. But I enjoy because there's a running component to our sport you only ever have one leg on the ground at a time. And so from a a very sport specific standpoint, the Bulgarian split squats, although power is going between both of your legs in order to do them, it is still very single focus on that front leg at that time. And so to be able to be powerful on both legs, but in that like running motion and split stance, I think is very important to our sport. And I'm also good at them, so I enjoy them. And they burn, which I also, Anytime my legs can really burn, I like that part. Like that is a very good feeling. For me, I love to hate upper body. I pull ups. Oh, <laughs> I, I know they're good for me. I'm like, cool. And I'm okay at them. I don't love them. I'm not like, yeah, let's go out. If I'm going to go out even just to do stuff for fun, I'll pick hang cleans. I'll do some type of trap bar or squat, even just a regular squat or a split squat or the Bulgarian split squats. I rarely will be like, yeah, let's go do upper body. Like, let's go just 
shoulder press. I, uh, I so don't like the hang, the hang clean is a pulling exercise though. What do you hate so much about the pull-ups just cause it's more isolated upper body? Yeah. Okay. You can't use your legs and your butt to, to, I mean, you could kip them like a CrossFitter. You could. I yeah. still, I, that takes I, technique, I think. Um, I haven't really tried it, but I, it's not that I don't do them. I just don't love them. It's, it's funny. They're not my favorite thing. And yes, hang cleans do have an upper body component. And upper body is important in our sport because you have to be able to transfer that power. So I know that I have to do it and I'm decent at it, especially if it's a strength exercise, but I, I don't love it. So, so much of your year is actually spent just in the gym and then you move on to, to the bobsled. Are you do and do you do any kind of, I know you're doing sled pushes and stuff like that, but that's the sled designed for the gym. Do you do any like off track bobsled work when you're in those gym phases? Yes, we do. Um, so in Lake Placid, they have an indoor ice house push facility, uh, that just opened last June. So that's very, very new to team USA. That's going to make a huge difference for us. Cool. I will go out to Lake Placid for a couple times in the summer and do a week long push camp where I'll push pretty much every single day when I'm there. And then I'll come back here for a couple weeks and then head back out there just to be able to actually be pushing a sled. I would do it every single week, probably twice a week. If I lived in Lake Placid, I would be utilizing it. It is very important to do sports, but sports specific stuff while training. It's more just, we've never until this past June, we've never had a push facility in the United States for us to use. Wow. Um, the only other one in North America is in Canada. And there's only about four of them in the entire world. One in That's Italy, two in Germany, Canada, and now the U S so there's five. That's really uh -huh. amazing when you think about the fact that this is an Olympic sport and you can only train for it out outdoors in those specific times of the year when you have the winter and that there's only four of these in inside. That, that's amazing. You need to build one in Carlsbad. Yeah, I know. Now they cost millions of dollars and you have to constantly <laughs> pay its giant refrigerator. So yes, of course. I need to find somebody that will help pay. You can do them not on ice. You can have and build and we I've seen a couple of those where it's like a bobsled on wheels and it looks kind of like a roller coaster where it's on like a rail track and you can push running on like sprint surface. Yeah. Um, but the sled doesn't feel the same. It's kind of like rollerblading versus ice skating. It yeah. just the feel of the ice and how it moves and how the sled rolls and like what happens on ice is a very different feeling than it is on the street. So we actually, uh, my husband built me a, a frame bobsled on wheels. So in the summer and all last year, especially with COVID when gyms were closed and we couldn't travel, I needed to still get in some bobsled push practice. So we built a, a frame bobsled. It doesn't have the body or anything, but it's just a metal frame, certain handle height. And so it's on wheels and I can push it up and down the street. So I can <laughs> practice hitting a sled. I can practice like getting behind it, being in the proper position and moving at top speed. I can take it to a running track and like get some spikes on to be able to like really accelerate a sled. So there is a way that I can do it, not utilizing the ice house, but again, it's not the perfect scenario, but it's better than just doing a prowler or being able to use like a sled from in a gym. This way it's more sport specific for sure. So we've had to yeah. adapt and- You were that lady in the neighborhood during COVID pushing the thing down the street. 
every single person stops, stares. And I'm always like in the street, got to like wheel the sled over so people can drive by. My neighbors are great though. Like they, a couple of them have come out and tried pushing it. Um, I've had some of the little girls in the neighborhood who are the, the sweetest and so supportive. One of them is our babysitter for our dog. She comes out Aww. sometimes, she'll sit on the sled just as like extra weight so I can push and she gets to get pushed around. So everyone in the neighborhood is very aware, especially now of what I do. Before I think it was like, what is she doing? Having watched the Olympics and everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But they are very supportive. I feel like there's some sort of a business model where you can create an indoor bobsled pushing facility. If you only need 50 meters, somewhat adjacent to these like two and three sheet ice hockey facilities that are already big refrigerators. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's someone, someone, someone should get on that. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. I agree. But it's not the most common of sports to really put a lot of resources into. Yeah. So um, again, we have one in Lake Placid now. It's just, I got to fly across the country to yeah, get to, to it, it, which isn't it's in Lake Placid too, which isn't the easiest place to get to. No, um, not too close to the airport. No, definitely not. But we do have one. So, so. Your, uh, your husband, Travis, is a former bobsledder and he's a trainer. How much do you work out with him? Especially during COVID, he, we worked out a lot together. He was definitely more of a training partner slash coach a little bit. We've had to learn how to work out together. It's hard. I, on some days it's really easy and I can listen to him. We've had to learn that if we ask for help or a spot or support, the other person is there. But unless it's asked for, don't give advice. Don't mention it. <laughs> unless I'm like, hey, can you come work out with me? He'll be like, yeah, sounds good. Or can you spot me? Or can you watch this? Let me know what you see. But communication, we have to communicate that that's what we would like. And then it can be help can be offered and vice versa. If he needs help or support or wants to be around and involved, if he wants to, if I've got to lift heavy, do you also want to lift heavy or do you just want to take some weight off and get what you want out of a lifting session? We're doing it together. So we have had to learn how to do that. I am not the type that takes direction very easily from him. If it's not offered, like if I don't want it, not gonna. I feel like this is the way with all of these husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend things. Like I, you know, I'm the same way with my boyfriend on the golf course. I'm like, I didn't ask you. <laughs> yeah. Don't, no, 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 just no. <laughs> it's um, yeah. But Travis is great. Cause he has the ability to, and um, he is a strength and conditioning coach. He knows, and he's worked with my specific coach Stu McMillan. So he knows what he's looking for and he can help. Um, which is fantastic. And he is so supportive. Like he is definitely, he's bought into my dreams or his dreams and we work together on them, which is amazing to have in a partner. And so, especially when COVID hit and we had to build a little at-home garage gym and I can't go anywhere. I'm not seeing coaches or teammates. I can't go to a gym to find motivation, but yet sometimes you don't want to work out at home. Mm -hmm. It, he really did make a huge difference over the last four years and just providing that support. And he has the ability to, um, he became massage therapist, sports, like trainer, teammate, uh, kind of the, the be all of everything and having done bobsled before he knows what you're what's required. So, yeah. This concludes part one of our conversation with Kaylee Humphreys. Be sure to check out part two. 
to keep up with Kaylee, follow her on Instagram at at Kaylee Humphreys and on Twitter at at Bobsled Kaylee as she embarks on the long road of training for the 2026 Winter Olympics in Italy. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.